Chapter 1, National Identity, 2001 At university, I realised I couldn't write and I couldn't act. I could time a laugh, though not always appropriately. As a tyrannical general in The Queen and the Rebels, an intense play by Ugo Betti, I brought the house down to the despair of the director. There were legions of mediocre writers and actors in Cambridge, eager to insert themselves into the student theatre scene by calling themselves directors. That's all you had to do. Call yourself a director. Drama wasn't on the curriculum, so the undergraduates had it to themselves, which may be why so many of them have thrived in the professional theatre. If you had the nerve, you pitched an idea to a committee of your fellow students, and you hustled them into giving you a show. The happy few were given a giant Meccano set. In the bar of the ADC theatre, which was one of the many places you could put on a play, was a signed photo of Peter Hall, the first director of the Royal Shakespeare Company and the director who led the National into its new building on the South Bank. To the ADC, he wrote, with thanks for giving me the opportunity to learn by my ghastly mistakes. Nobody taught you to direct. If you wanted to learn, you had to keep a ruthless eye on yourself. Then, after three years, you tried to repeat the same trick all over again, this time with the professionals, and find yourself an apprenticeship. University graduates have arrived in London and infiltrated the theatre for more than 400 years. The so-called university wits of the 1590s included men of genuine talent like Robert Greene, Thomas Nash and Christopher Marlowe. Among those who bypassed a university education were Shakespeare and Ben Jonson, so it doesn't seem to have been a prerequisite. I was the fifth director of the National and the fourth who went to Cambridge to read English. Olivier managed without. The university wits muscled into a business that lived or died at the box office and had a hard time surviving if it didn't entertain. They sneered at the uncultivated excesses of the vulgar players and hit the audience over the head with the range of their classical learning. But they still courted popular success with tales of the rise and fall of swaggering heroes like Marlowe's Tamerlane the Great. These days, their successors are less learned than Marlowe, but like him we have to reach out to the multitude. The Elizabethan court provided patronage, but not much in the way of subsidy. The Queen paid the actors when they performed at court, but the bulk of their income came from ticket sales on the South Bank. When the French and German courts got interested in the theatre, they gobbled it up whole, funded it lavishly, and used it as an instrument of princely prestige. French and German state theatres are still funded almost entirely by government. They're accountable to ministries of culture and are ambitious, demanding and superbly scornful of popular taste. Our theatre still tries to juggle substance with pleasure. Like the Elizabethan players who rubbed shoulders with the bear pits and the brothels, we're part of the entertainment industry. I served most of my apprenticeship in opera houses, so I learned early how to manage vast casts on huge stages. Then I directed everything from the Christmas panto to Elizabethan tragedy in repertory theatres in Exeter, Leeds and Manchester. Afterwards, I bounced like a pinball from Friedrich Schiller's Don Carlos to Alan Bennett's adaptation of The Wind in the Willows. From Miss Saigon, a musical with its heart on its sleeve at the enormous Theatre Royal Drury Lane, to Ben Jonson's Jacobean satire Volpone at the intimate Almeida. H. 
hail the world's soul and mine, cried Volpone, flinging open his chest of gold, while the tills rang at Drury Lane. Richard Eyre, successor to Laurence Olivier and Peter Hall, asked me to be an associate director of the National in 1988. My memory of our first meeting is coloured by the account of it in his evocative diaries. I was gossipy and opinionated. He was wry, generous and shrewd. I reminded him of Jean-Louis Barrault, which is the nicest thing anyone has ever written about me. But I always felt he saw me more clearly than I saw myself. He made space for me to become a better director. I watched him do the same for all the other associate directors and only gradually realised that his manoeuvres were as much for the Nationals' benefit as for ours. Under his leadership, the repertoire was wide enough to celebrate the gap between art and show business, even as it tried to close it. I directed new plays.